What's up? Welcome to Build. This is Maggie. Today, I have Terrence Rogers on the show. He's the chief of staff here at Drift, but reporting through the product team and not just to the CEO. We've worked together for over a year now, and he is the perfect person to cover a topic that I hear a ton about, and that is what role is better if you're starting out or just coming off of grad school, a chief of staff role or a product management role. We talk through the role, what it is, why it's useful, and what the career path actually looks like, and how no matter where you are, there are lessons to be learned in the unglamorous. I hope you enjoy it. Terrence, welcome to the show. Hey. So today we're going to have a bit of a throwdown. We're going to cover the benefits and trade-offs of going into product versus becoming a chief of staff. Obviously, we both have MBAs. We both went through this choice. So what I want to do is start by seeing if we can define each other's jobs. So you go first, Terrence. Tell me from your experience working with us, like what's your perspective on what a being a PM means? Okay. So from my perspective, as I see you do your job, you work across the organization. I view you as the bridge between the designers and engineers and other product folks, a bridge between those folks and not only the customer, but also our folks on the go-to-market side, our sales folks, our marketers. I feel like product managers sort of the glue that sticks between everything and really makes everything happen on the product side. And it's kind of like the sexiest role too. So it's like you all are the, the sexiest role because you get a chance to touch everything and be everywhere at the same time. <laughs> That's a more g- generous description than I was expecting. Let's see. I'll go for chief of staff. I think to me, what you get to do is you're in, it's interesting. You said that we are, we're able to see everything and touch kind of all parts of the business. But to me, the chief of staff role is really in the middle of everything because you get to be in all of the meetings and you get to hear all of the stuff and you see all the docs and you help with all the docs. And so I feel like out of anyone, I would imagine that you would know more about the real story of what's going on with the business than anybody else, which is very interesting to me. (laughs) But then there's also, if I'm going to be honest, the like meetings and emails and having to help with a lot of stuff that I feel like I might not want to do. No, I understand. Like the fact that I, I got my boss lunch one day, you know, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although it's not like PM doesn't have any janitorial work that we do. It's just, I think it just shows up differently. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. So really quickly, can you describe what the chief of staff role actually is and what you do? Okay. So I get this question a lot. And I think, again, having done it for year and a half to two years before, and then now having been in it for a year and a few months, I am in a good position to be able to talk about what it looks like in different industries and like, you know, but what I say here is not going to be, it's not the Bible, right? It's not some religious text, right? It's it's, mm-hmm. it's how I view the role and some of the frameworks that I've thought through just based on my experience. And then also just based on some work that's been done from other folks in, in the area. The way that I look at chief of staff is that when people think of the role, they often think about a very senior chief of staff. So think chief of staff to the president of the United States. Now, that's the most senior, fully fleshed out, fully mature chief of staff. And so that chief of staff is someone who typically has 10 to 20 years of experience. They've been in the space for a long time. And if you can think about it like this, the president of the United States has, let's just say they have 200 things to do and work on. They need to hire someone to take on 100 of those things. So they only have time to take on 100 of them on their own. So they need someone to run special projects. They need someone to run different initiatives. And they want someone who can just bring them updates, not bring them 
questions and decisions to make on their own. Mm-hmm. Some of them will be decisions to make on their own, but they want someone to be able to operate independently. Now, with that senior level chief of staff, you know, one to two decades of experience, they often have their own admin, their own secretary, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're sort of a, a clone of the executive, a full clone of the executive. Now, when you go to the most junior part, to the most junior chief of staff, that's someone who's couple years out of undergrad and they have a few years of experience. And this is very similar to what I did in my first chief of staff role, right? I was two or three years out, an executive nominated me to work for another executive as their chief of staff. And I got the role. Now that role is more administrative. And then you may have one special project to work on. And by administrative, that can break off into two different things, administrative in terms of running a calendar or running and really keeping track of what actually needs to get done. So like follow up to do lists and making sure that people are, are finishing what they say they're going to work on. And so in my junior chief of staff role before, I wasn't doing much of the stuff where I was managing someone's calendar because I was a large organization and they had an admin who could, who was much, much better at that than I would ever be. But I focused on sitting in on executive meetings, taking notes, mm-hmm. making sure I listed down the faults they need to get done, and then aggressively following up on people to make sure those actually got done. And so that was part of the junior chief of staff role. It's a little bit more administrative, but the one special project that I had at the time was I was working alongside of organizations like McKinsey and BCG, looking at product development, looking at product strategy, and tracking how we were looking at rolling out new products and why we were looking at rolling out the new products we were looking to roll out. And so my earlier chief of staff, junior chief of staff role, I didn't have a lot of rope. <laughs> it wasn't mm-hmm. like they were like, go off and do all these things. But I did have one special project that I worked on and presented to senior executives on a frequent basis. And then I did a lot of administrative stuff, which was incredible. Being able to sit and in my early 20s, sit and watch and learn from the feet of executives as they ran a 2000 person organization. It was phenomenal. Now, in the middle, sort of a mid-level chief of staff, which is really where I'm at now and it's where a lot of folks post-MBA end up landing, that mid-level chief of staff role, it's funny because you think, oh, maybe I'll have less administrative stuff and more project and strategic things to work on. Mm-hmm. It's more like you just get more stuff to work on. So you get more strategic projects. More of everything. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I still manage and, and, and take notes and do you know, track follow-ups on the executive meetings, right? So particularly for me, I'm within the product space. So I manage the CPO's senior staff meeting and I take notes there. I make sure the follow-ups are listed. I make sure those are tracked and I make sure I try to keep everyone accountable to getting those things done. Yep. I am deeply aware of this. (laughs) (laughs) You're sort of an enforcer, you know, you have to be an enforcer, right? You have to chase people, make sure things get done, hold people accountable. But that's, the, that's sort of the administrative part of my job. And when I look at now the strategic projects that I've worked on while I've been adrift, there's a number of those. Like I run the OKR process, as I've mentioned before. I've worked on some stuff within finance and operations. Like I'm helping the sales team build out their ROI modeling based on my past banking experience. There's a lot of special projects and problems that I'm thrown at to either help run from a project manager perspective or just help impact based on technical skills that I've pulled from other jobs. And so the mid-level chief of staff is not necessarily ready to be a full clone of the executive, but you know they have more skills, more experience to where they can actually be thrown at even more tasks and have what I call, which are safe hands, right? Someone you can give more and more responsibility to do more things. And so that's one way that I look at the chief of staff role from junior to mid-level to senior. And then the other one, and I'm not going to go through this framework in detail because you can look it up as you're listening, but the McChrystal Group is a consulting group 
that is out there that runs a chief of staff academy. And while I joined this role, I kind of wanted to refresh her on how I could look at doing better in my role and looking at the chief of staff role. And so I took their course and it was really, really interesting. One of the big things that I took away from it was this two by two matrix that talked about the type of things you do as a chief of staff. And so one bucket, top left, this wouldn't be a conversation between two MBAs without a two by two matrix, right? I mean, we had to have one. (laughs) So the top left is, and I'll, I'll put this in really simple terms that I can understand and speak to without going too deep into their framework. But the top left is what I call making sure that the executive's office is run correctly and well. So I work with my principal and my executive's admin to say, okay, what's on the schedule? What's coming up? I work with the head of comms to make sure that any sort of communication that's coming out of the executive's office you know, looks a certain way, or at least I just make sure it's happening. Our head of communications is fantastic. And so I don't have to do nearly as much there. (laughs) And so, but just making sure that that communication is happening and the executive is working with comms and working with folks to make sure their schedule is humming and really organizing their life. The next bucket going from left to right is making sure that the executive's division is working well. So working between their different plus ones, right? They're different executives, the folks that are one step removed from that executive, their staff, and working amongst them to make sure everything is working efficiently. So being, you know, running their staff meetings, making sure that things are getting done at that level, right? Starting to put together offsites and making sure that the leadership and the strategy that's coming from them is being effectively communicated down with the rest of the organization. And then you start to rotate. And this is to what I call you're getting into more strategic roles. And so you go to the bottom right and it's how are you helping your executive be more strategically effective across the organization? So how are you working with, in my role, how is product working with sales? How does product working with finance and operations? How are we working across the organization to be effective? And helping in that area is more strategic and less operational, but it's sort of the the natural movement of a chief of staff. Mm -hmm. And then the bottom left is what I call sort of the holy grail and where a lot of folks expect their chief of staff to start out immediately, but it's just not what happens, but really being a strategic thought partner. So being able to speak with the executive and talk with them and say, hey, look, they they bounce ideas off you like, hey, I'm thinking we could take this in a product product tense. I think we can take the product of the business this way. What are your thoughts on it? And that is an area where a lot of senior chief of staff typically sit because they have decades of experience, but the junior chief of staffs almost never start there. They almost mm-hmm. always start in the more tactical, you know, operational space because they have to build up their expertise and get that, gain that trust. Those are two different ways to look at it from junior to mid-level to senior, and then looking at the type of work going from operational with the executive to operational with their team to more strategic across the organization and then strategic in terms of where the business is headed. Perfect. So Take me through what the common career path is for a chief of staff and kind of how long you think people should be in the role. My understanding is that something that you do for a shorter period of time as a jumping off point to something else. And is that true? And like, if that's true, how long do you stay and where do you go? That's a great question, right? So I think it depends on what the person wants to accomplish. I view chief of staff roles as just an excellent training ground to work with leaders who have 10, 20, 30 years of experience. And you get a chance to work under these folks and just learn a ton from them with the idea that you take those learnings and you use them within the rest of the organization, right? Because the idea, at least in the, the different roles that I've seen, and my experience is a bit unique because I did chief of staff for almost about a year and a half to two years prior to business school. And so, you know, it was within a large 
international organizations with headquarters all around the world. And the interesting thing with large organizations is that they have these chief of staff programs where they'll bring high potential leaders, young leaders to go work with different executives. And they work with the executive for two to three years and then spin off and then go lead something within the organization. And that experience, that exposure, the lessons that are learned there can be taken and, and hopefully used in other areas across the org. But it all depends on what you want to accomplish. I know folks who have been chief of staff or want to be chief of staff for longer than that, right? And then the idea is that they'll go from there and they'll do something else. But I just think for me specifically, I view chief of staff as you do it for a few years, you spin off into another part of the organization and you use the lessons that you learned to help customers or to help business operations. Like you do something that you can directly use some of the lessons that you learned really working at the feet of high-performing executives and take that throughout the rest of the organization. Again, not for everybody, right? Not some people do it longer, but for me, it's sort of a a two to three year thing max for me. Yeah. And it's interesting. It sounds like there are a lot of parallels to some of the stuff that I thought was really interesting to me about product when I got into this role, which was I had been a consultant before business school. I felt like I was a good generalist, but I didn't really know. I didn't feel like I had kind of like a functional skill that would be useful to me when I would be in in in-house at a regular company versus a consulting company or a consulting firm. So it sounds like chief of staff gives you a way to get into an industry and still check out the different functions. Is that the right way to think about it? Yeah, I think that's a good way to think about it. And it's, I say that there is a trap though that people can kind of get caught up in and it's Mm -hmm. proximity to power trap, right? Mm -hmm. And some people, and I, I learned this in my last role, I had gone from business ops, internal strategy and business development, then to a chief of staff role at my last company. And when I was in biz ops, I was running different projects and I was getting different different things done. It was real hands in the mud, you know, really getting things done. Mm-hmm. Then I went to strategy, which was a little bit higher level, not necessarily as in the weeds, working with a ton of ex-consultants like yourself, ex-bankers. And that was a different feel, a little bit, little bit less in the weeds. And then when I went to be a chief of staff, one of the things that I realized, I was so impressed with myself because I was getting all these different things done. But a lot of your power to get things done is because you have the shadow of an executive kind of over you, right? Like <laughs> they know they right. know that the directive is coming down from someone on high. And I think that a lot of chief of staffs, like we want to lead something at some point, right? A lot of MBAs want to lead something at some point. And I think you have to learn how to lead without necessarily having that shadow of an executive over you. And to do that, sometimes it's you get drunk on the proximity to power because like oh, I can get all these things done and I'm attached to this executive who's helping me get these things done or at least kind of has that cast that shadow over all the stuff that you're working on. But to me, if you really want to be successful, you have to be able to step out of that and be able to get things done and motivate people and build up teams, get projects done without necessarily having that shadow of the executive over you, you know, because, you know, when they were coming up as an executive, they probably didn't have that and they had to learn how to get things done without that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a theme that, I mean, both of us went to the same business school. You mean the one in Boston? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had to talk about it. But I, I think one of the things that I've seen from people who are coming out of business school who are looking for their next role, and there's definitely a stereotype of someone who wants to be in leadership and wants to fast track their way to leadership. But to your point, they maybe don't have – what I'm hearing from you is that they don't have the credibility and that a role like a chief of staff role might feel – 
give them the sense that they have that credibility when actually they haven't done the work to earn it. And so then you can do that for a couple of years, but you still don't actually have actually the leader or the person that you're working for. You still have to kind of put in the work to get there, but it's at least a way that you can get in and learn and accelerate your learning. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. Well said. Yeah. And I mean, similar for product. I think one of the challenges I see, especially for people who, let's say they have left business school and they go into consulting or they go back to consulting for their two years or whatever it is. And then they say, okay, well now I want to get into industry and I want to work in products, but you know, I'm pretty senior. So I want to be a director or VP or whatever. And it's kind of the same problem where they don't, they haven't actually shipped software. And so they can't, to me, they don't have any credibility because yes, they're good managers and they're they're excellent at strategy and maybe really great at ops, but they've never done the nitty gritty work that you have to do to be good at that role. And so to me, I explicitly wanted to leave business school and go into what felt more like a functional role to get those skills. And maybe it wasn't glamorous for the first couple of years, but at least I got that stuff under my belt to make me a more credible leader. Yeah, no, I think that's spot on. I think that's a great way to approach it. And I think that's the right way to approach it because even when I look at my role now and what I want to do next, I think about, you know, I did investment banking right after business school. And mm-hmm. I was in the role where I was gaining credibility of the folks that were ahead of me. And as I had juniors come up under me, I would teach them certain things. I knew all the technical aspects of the job. You know, I was learning the soft skills part of the job and I was building that credibility to create a path, a future of, of, of hopefully future success within that space. I didn't want to stay in the space because I knew I wanted to come to tech, but Once I came over to the startup space, I realized very quickly that I need to rebuild up credibility because I Mm -hmm. haven't been in the trenches like I was in banking where I was shoulder and shoulder with different bankers as we worked to, you know, how the hours, (laughs) you know, (laughs) to whatever. And you just, you build up that credibility. People understand that you, you know that you know what you're talking about. And I have to do that all over again in tech and all is not lost. You know, I have a mentor who just was named chief product officer of a company. And, you know, he has a background where he didn't necessarily go off and do product management, but it's at least not directly after he did more client service. So it's all is not lost, (laughs) but I I definitely think it's a much harder path to trail, right? It's much harder to do instead of actually going in, doing the work, gaining that credibility right out of business school. Right. So what was that your mentor's career path? Like how did they get from sort of business school to that TPO role? They were young going into business school. And after business school, what they did was they went to invest in banking, focus on technology. And then they did that for two or three years. And then instead of going to small tech, they went big tech. So instead of going to startups, they went to a large, large company. And they did what this person described to me as crab walking. And so they took their finance and M&A skills from this large investment bank and they crab walked into a role that was M&A related, but it was more M&A strategy and business development. And so they sort of crab walked into strategy. So they were able to be successful using some of their experience working on Wall Street, but focused on technology companies. And they were able to use that experience to then be successful at this large technology company because they understood some of tech, but they didn't understand the exact tech that the company he was at, right? They were more, I think he went from looking at enterprise technology to e-commerce or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so, and then he, so he had to learn e-commerce and he had to learn that space, but he understood 
how to break down industries, how to do competitor analysis, how to look at different targets, engage those on what could be most interesting. He used that and just transitioned that to e-commerce. So he did that for two years, but he wanted to get closer to the business, closer to the revenue. And so then he moved into partnerships. And so he did partnerships for three years. And then he moved into a general management role. And he did that for four years, being the general manager of a number of different businesses. One, he was first, he was given one that was super unsexy. No one wanted to take. <laughs> and so they were like, mm-hmm. here, take this one, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> yep. he said, okay. And then he turned that one around, let a successful turnaround there, grew it into one of their largest businesses. And he was then given the opportunity to lead an even better business. And so he did really well there. And then he ended up leaving that large tech company that he was at for I don't know, like maybe 10 years. And he ended up becoming recently named chief product officer at a large public company. And so I think it's interesting looking at his path because he was able to move really from strategy to partnerships to general management. Mm-hmm. I was a little shocked when he became CPO, but then it made me realize that like, look, there's lots of different paths to get to different places and none of them are the same. We all think they're the same because we're like, oh yeah, you did this for this many years, this for... And it's like, no, you do <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> You know, there's no perfect one path. And who knows? Like, I didn't know he was going to be a CPO. I thought his role would probably lead to something else, but he wanted to be a CPO. I didn't even know that. And so that's interesting to see that he was able to do that without actually having product management experience, which is unheard of, particularly in SaaS. But he's not in SaaS. He's in a different part of tech still. I wanted to talk about it because I think it's such an important point to make that I think especially when you're post-MBA, five years out, 10 years out, whatever, it can feel like the choices you're making are forever. And it can feel like if you don't get a certain role, you're never going to get to a certain place. But clearly, we I think we've both seen many people who kind of bounce around and they try different things. But I think what's interesting in hearing his story is that if you think about the path that he went through in terms of the skills he figured out, it's like he had this really strong understanding of business he got the strategy experience. He figured out how to work on partnerships. And through each of these roles, I would imagine he's working with a large variety of people. And then being a GM is very much like very analogous to the product role, especially the product leadership role, because it's all about how do you make this whole system work together and get the whole system out the door and making money. And I really see that sort of as what my role is a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm not mm-hmm. super surprised that he would he would be able to move where he did, given that he's picking up those skills along the way. And I think coming back to product versus chief of staff, both of our roles in different ways allow us to get a lot of those different skills. It's just kind of through a different mechanism. And I love, love, love what you said about how people, particularly post-MBAs, freak out. They're like, oh my gosh, like (laughs) I've done this for a year and a half. I'm doomed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I didn't get promoted in the first six months of my career over. (laughs) It's just, I don't know. Like I, that's probably been one of the biggest revelations for me, having been one of those two plus two plus three plus two type individuals where Mm -hmm. even when I was at my first company, I spent like two years in one role. Then I spent two to three years in another role. And it's- often the folks who are most successful start to pick up some sort of momentum. Either it's at mm-hmm. a place and then they move around a little bit or it's within a function. I know you've been in the PM function role yep. since you left grad school, right? And, and even though you've yep. changed different places, you've been able to pick up momentum and get better at the one thing that's in front of you, which is the PM role. And I think that the generalist way of flipping that on its head 
is to look, if you're going to move around and be in different roles, particularly people who are in chief of staff tend to jump into a different role. Mm-hmm. You need to just pick one company <laughs> yeah. and then try different things outside of that. Cause if you're changing multiple variables, like if you're changing company all the time, and then you're also changing role all the time, it's just hard to pick up momentum and really build on the experience that you're learning. Yeah. Yeah. I love that point. And I, I never, I hadn't ever really thought about it as momentum, but you're right. I think the logic that I had leaving, like I mentioned before, leaving business school was, okay, I think I'm interested in in this type of role, this product thing. I'm interested in tech. I want to see if I can actually make it work. And then when I got in and I started looking at product leaders, that job seemed really interesting to me. And But I knew I had to spend three, four, five years just grinding as a PM to get access to that role. And so that was kind of like the math that I did was, okay, let me see if I can hang on because what those people are doing looks interesting to me. So I can't say it was the fastest way to do it, but it was a path that I thought would work for me at least. Slow and steady is always the way. Yeah, but then you're right. Then you you kind of, you find your thing, you figure out what you like, and then you can really start to pick up momentum, which I think had been definitely harder for me pre-business school because I didn't have any idea what I liked doing. So, okay. I want to ask now, when I graduated, which was an uncomfortably long period of time ago, (laughs) the hot jobs were definitely VC, private equity, and product. And I don't really remember chief of staff being kind of on the radar of the like hot jobs. I did once interview at Goldman Sachs, but that was a hilarious blunder. And (laughs) I realized very quickly that it wasn't for me. (laughs) <laughs> just fun fun fact. So I'm curious when you were when you were graduating was chief of staff as hot as it feels like it is now? The way that chief of staff, the way that I view it is it's a bit odd. So because I had I was a chief of staff as I went into business school. Mm-hmm. No one was really checking for me, Maggie. I remember being at business school and people were like, I did banking or I did private <laughs> equity. Right? And yep. they were like, what did you do again? And I was like, I was the chief of staff. And they were like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was very interesting coming in. But I think as we got ready to leave, folks, because tech has just continued to be on fire, right? I think post the financial crisis, and I, I'll, I'll date myself a little bit. Back when I was an undergrad and I was trying to look at getting into business schools, I would go visit business schools as an undergrad student. I was definitely one of the cool kids. And <laughs> it does not surprise me even a little bit that you were already visiting business schools. <laughs> and so I was meeting people and it was interesting because that was during the during the crisis and the crash of 08. And finance was super hot, but it was cooling down. Water was being thrown on the fire and tech was starting to become hot. And so it was interesting because I saw the transition happen there where folks who thought they were going to Goldman end up going to Intel, end up going to Microsoft or some of these other places. And these are some of the early folks who went into tech. And then you fast forward however many or so years and tech is just like just burning inferno. It's just super exciting. People are looking at PM roles. They're looking at all these roles. And roles that are in the venture space or the private equity space, although still hot, are becoming less and less attractive because Mm -hmm. folks want to be entrepreneurs. They want to be Jeff Bezos. They want to be, you know, and so they're trying to figure out how do they get there. Now, the chief of staff role in particular, I think, is really exciting for folks, sometimes not directly after business school, but after they've done their tour of duty in whatever client service area you want to name. You know, they've done management consulting or investment banking. And they're like, look, I want to go into industry. 
and chief of staff is an extension of you're still kind of a generalist. So you still have a chance to figure out what you really want to do. Mm-hmm. But you're doing it in a way where you're working for a senior executive, which, again, seems sexy, but oftentimes it just, it just means more work. <laughs> <laughs> I have no comments on that from the outside. Maybe they're listening to this podcast and I can't speak about it. No, it is an absolute blessing and there's nothing wrong. <laughs> <in the> person- <laughs> no, no, no. It's, Elias, we love you. Exactly. <laughs> But that's the thing, right? And you you want to come in and you want to be able to say, look, I'm, I'm happy to, to carry the water. You know, I watched a lot of martial arts movies, right? So when you're training, you have the water on your back and you're carrying mm-hmm. the water up the hill. Like you're fine to do that, right? And you're happy to do whatever it takes because you want to be successful. And in many ways, you want to be that executive or principal that you're actually working for. And so to go to your question, right? Like what changed? I think that the chief of staff role is really, really interesting, but folks don't really start to think about it until after they've done a couple years in client service and they want to move into industry. Because I've seen people do it in other industries as well, like large manufacturing industries or Mm -hmm. big tech companies, right? But it becomes sort of a natural extension of of a client service role, kind of like a a natural next step as you try to land into an industry. Yeah, that makes sense. So then as you've been doing this role at Drift for a while, I'm curious, what are you learning that you didn't expect to learn? Because obviously you'd had chief of staff experience before coming into hypergrowth, SaaS startup. Like, what are you learning that was something you didn't realize you would? I've learned, I've learned a ton. And my boss has asked me this before, like, so what have you learned? And, I, <laughs> and when he first asked me, I hesitated. And I was like, what have I learned? Yeah, that question makes me very nervous. <laughs> right. It's like, what have I learned? And then I felt bad because I couldn't say what I learned. And I was like, wait, does he think I haven't learned anything? And all this stuff. And so the best part about doing chief of staff, particularly at a hyper-go startup, is you get a chance to work directly under an entrepreneur. Because I, I targeted co-founders. And so that was mm-hmm. the big thing for me was targeting a co-founder. I know you can do chief of staff for lots of different executives, but for me, I wanted to see what it was like to build and scale a business from people who have built and scaled businesses before. Because if I want to be that person, I need to know what it looks like to be that person. I think that, you know, particularly you can take the angle of diversity and inclusion too, right? If as a person of color, it's fascinating to be able to see a person of color build and scale a business working directly for them. It's just, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity, particularly it could be the same thing if you're a woman, it could be the same thing if you have another thing that sort of connects you with that person and you see yourself in that person. So there's something special to that. Mm -hmm. And when I was looking to find an executive to work for, I don't know, I'm going a bit on a tangent, but I'm coming back to your question. No, I love it. (laughs) When I was looking for an executive to work for, I wanted to particularly find someone who came from a uh, working class background. Yep. And I didn't even think of finding a person who was a person of color because the number is so small. It's like mm-hmm. 4% or something of venture-backed companies are run by, by, by people of color. And so I was just so excited to get, get connected to Elias. And after meeting with him, he checked both. He also came from a working-class background. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is fantastic. But not only that, I think those are helpful. Him and DC had had these experiences where they had started multiple companies. And I was like, this is exactly what I wanted to see. And so when I think about... Fast forward a year and some months after, you know, I've been working for Elias as founder and CTO of Drift, I've just learned a lot. <laughs> like it's so much, right? It, it goes from some of the technical aspects, like I've done some investor relations work to the aspects of looking at a founder 
work with different seasoned executives trying to figure out how to solve a problem. So we have advisors from different areas that we bring in to help us solve certain problems. And I get a chance to actually see him go. And like Elias is a humble dude. Like, I think that's one thing I underestimated how humble, like, I know, cause I know you hear about different founders and different executives and you hear about the bravado and all this stuff. And I was a bit nervous to go work for an executive in the tech space because of the egos. Right. But I've been lucky and maybe Elias shouldn't hear this part, but I've been lucky <laughs> because he doesn't have the same ego. And so what I've learned is that if you're going to be a founder, you have to have that humility to know this is what I know. Mm-hmm. This is what I don't know. And this is what I need to do to understand and get up to speed on things I don't know. And I've seen him do that time and time again. And then the next step to that is understanding that just because you now know and understand something doesn't mean that you're the person that's going to run that or lead that. So I use the perfect example of when we were looking at the go-to-market organization, right? And trying to figure out how do we prepare the go-to-market organization to be enterprise ready, right? And there's a ton of different things and I'm not going to go into all the different areas, but option A is you figure out how to do it and you do it yourself. Option B is you figure out how it's done, but then you hire best in class to do it and you understand enough to be dangerous and enough to still help with what you can help with, but you hire the right executive to do that. And that's something that I never even thought about because I'm, and I'm sure you can appreciate this. I'm so used to saying, oh, it needs to get done. I'm going to do it, right? (laughs) I'm going to learn how to do it and just do it. And what I'm realizing is that the secret to being a great entrepreneur is doing it until you can hire someone who's world-class at doing it. (laughs) Yeah. I love that point because it's having worked for, this is the second startup I've worked for, you can see the maturity of the founder when they make those choices. And it's such, I think it's, especially for people of our background, it's so easy, like you said, to assume that you are going to be able to do it better than anyone else. And there's like a flavor of, well, I'm just used to figuring out and going off and doing it. That's like such a hidden ego trap because you're what you're saying is, even if I don't have experience in this thing, like these other people, I can do it better than them. That's such a waste of time as a founder. And I, I just love that that's one of the things you learn because that's definitely what I'm seeing is that the impact that an experienced hire can have on a team and how quickly they can make a difference is amazing. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. That's one of the things that I learned that you don't read in cases, you don't read in books. Like it's just, mm-hmm. well, there may be in some books. I know I know DC has probably read it in the book somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So to be fair, it's probably in a book somewhere. For me to learn that through experiential learning and seeing him do that has been transformative in the way that I think about potentially building a business one day. It's like, oh my gosh, like that's, and it seems so simple. That's one of the mm-hmm. big things. But outside of that, I've been exposed to just so many different areas that it's tough to count some of the stuff that I've learned. But that's been one of the biggest things, you know, knowing that you don't have to solve it all as an entrepreneur and you shouldn't try to solve it all. I'm curious to hear from you. We're running out of time, so I want to get a couple more questions in. We talked about sort of, I think, the benefits of the chief of staff role and the different career path that you can have. But what's your advice to people who are thinking about the role? Like, what are the downsides to the role? And what are some warning signs or traps they should look out for when they're evaluating potential chief of staff roles? There's a lot of articles out there that talk about how executives just need a chief of staff. And I think that not all executives just need a chief of staff. Some people just need a better admin. 
Yeah. <laughs> yep. To be hundred percent honest, right? And so, admin administrative stuff is it can be a part of the chief of staff role. Let's be clear. When I was a chief of staff before at a larger company, I didn't really do any admin responsibilities just because you know well resourced giant public company, they have an admin, right? And so right. I was mainly focused on taking notes and meetings, like it's still admin work, but it's less scheduling work. And it's often good to have one person owning a schedule. But I'll tell people this, I tell people this all the time. Look, there's a price you have to pay to be able to work for a fantastic executive. Mm -hmm. And if that price is scheduling meetings and doing some administrative stuff, like that's fine. Like that's (laughs) like, like, okay, you have to schedule a few meetings and you may spend a third of your time doing admin stuff. I think the red flag is if you end up doing that kind of stuff for longer than a year, particularly if you have other skills that you can use to help the organization. But if that's the price you have to pay to get in the door, you pay the price. And that's always been sort of my perspective on life is just like whatever small price you have to pay to get in, it's okay to pay that price. Mm -hmm. Carry the water, do the work that needs to get done, gain the trust of the executive doing small tasks. And then as you do those small tasks, well, you get larger tasks to take on. That's just yep. work, private sector, public sector, anything. <laughs> you work it for someone that's above you. I mean, what's interesting is that, you know, I'm sitting here asking you this question, but you could replace executive with engineering and designers for NAPM. And NAPM, when they're starting out, they have to carry the water. They're going to be doing scheduling. They're going to be doing project management. They're going to be picking up the pieces and just doing anything they can to help the team get stuff out the door. And so I think it's easy to say, oh, as a chief of staff, you might have to do admin work and like no one wants to do that. But any role starting out is going to have that. And the PM role, some of the stuff that you have to do is equally as annoying, if not even worse. So I can't, (laughs) I don't want to sit here and be like, ugh, chief of staff, you have to do admin stuff when PM role has this exact same water that needs to be carried. Yeah. And I I just think that I've talked to people, so I cannot tell you how many times I get on the phone with folks and like, I want to be a chief of staff. (laughs) don't want to do. And I'm like, don't start with what you don't want to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> please. <laughs> like, that's not the point. The chief of staff role is not for what you want. It's for what the executive wants. And you want to align with how well you can help the executive. It's not, mm-hmm. I don't want to do this. It's what are my skills and here's how I can help. Right. Yep. And I think when your folks are looking at chief of staff roles, just know that it's about how you can help the executive. And then by helping the executive or the principal or whoever, that's how you learn and grow. And then eventually you take what you've learned there and how you've grown and you take that into the rest of the business. But it shouldn't just be, I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that. That's one of my pet peeves is I've talked to folks who just want to get into the, they want to be a chief of staff so bad, but really Mm -hmm. all they want is to have their name associated with a senior person who has cachet and they want to be to say, I work for so-and-so and and I'd work on these special projects. And it's like, no, a lot of the work is unglamorous and that's fine because there's lessons to be learned in the unglamorous. But eventually things will come. You'll get bigger and better things as you put in the work. Yeah. I love that. I love the lessons to be learned in the unglamorous. That is probably, I think product has exactly the same type of shiny, glamorous feeling. And even you earlier said like, oh, you get to work on this, you know, the sexy stuff. But I, having been in the role for a long time now, I would say 99% of it is deeply unglamorous and hard and various levels of annoying. But the payoff is that you get to make the call. And that's what keeps me in it is that, yeah, I have to do all the stuff that maybe I don't love doing. But at the end of the day, I'm in the mix. I understand what's driving our business forward. And I get to have a huge impact on that. And I love being in, in that middle. 
So I think you're right. For any role, you have to think about what is the stuff you want to do and are you willing to pay the price to get access to that? And then never forget that (laughs) any person that you're working for, they had a period where they had to do the exact same thing. They had to carry the water. They had to do the stuff. And so who are you to say you don't want to do it? (laughs) Right. And if honestly, if you're working for someone who didn't have to do that, I would be very skeptical of whether they're going to be good at their job. Exactly. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. So what is your advice for people who are coming out of grad school or who are maybe coming off of consulting or something and thinking about what to do next? Yeah. So one of the things, and I I actually had a conversation with an incoming business school student this morning, right before our conversation, and he was asking me the same thing. He was asking for advice on how do I think about my career and I want to go into tech and I'm thinking about all these different roles. The biggest thing that I say is like, look, going into tech, that's just a massive thing. So you have to ask yourself, big tech, small tech, what functions or roles do you want to do? There's a really good book by Professor Jeffrey Busgang called Entering Startup Land, which I suggest to folks. It's just good if you're trying to figure out what you want to do within the space. Mm-hmm. But I often say that, and this was taught to me, when coming into the startup world, you often need a wedge. What's your wedge? What gets you it? For mm-hmm. me, chief of staff was my wedge. I did chief of staff before business school. I knew how to be a chief of staff in a large company setting, maybe not a small company setting, but there was enough there to kind of wedge myself in, have some tangible skills that I could use and experience that I could use to get into the tech space. To take it up one level higher, maybe not even just looking at tech for folks that are leaving consulting or leaving banking, you want to make sure that you're running to something and not running away from something. So I'll say that part one more time, right? You want to make sure you're running to something and not running away from something. Consulting and banking can be grueling places to work. The hours are crappy and that carrying the water period is just particularly painful in those spaces. But you don't want to pick a role based on it just not being what you're doing now. You want to do some career exploration and you want to really think through you want to really think through what career path you want to take. Because at that point, you're hopefully done with the two years here, three years here, two years mm-hmm. business school, two years there, two, two yep. years post-business school, <laughs> post school. The hope is that you pick someplace that you're going to be now for a decade or two. And so when you're looking at what you want to do, I, I tell people to have a ton of informationals, talk to folks, like try to figure out what they do, think about what you're good at. And try to lean into what you're good at, because that's going to be one of the best things that's going to make you successful is actually leaning into things you're good at. And try to make sure you're not just picking something because it's hot. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's easy for a couple MBAs to say. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, we're the worst people to give that advice. (laughs) Right, right, right. But I'll always say, like, when I was an undergrad, I wanted to start a business. And I've always wanted to start a business. But the way that I viewed getting into entrepreneurship, and it was a bit different when I was an undergrad, but still... The way that I viewed it was that, hey, I want to build credibility, get these quote unquote brands on my resume, you know, hopefully be able to go to grad school. And then when it comes time, be able to use the credibility of sort of what I've done before to raise money and be able to recruit people and be able to build a a successful business. And so I've always thought in the back of my head that entrepreneurship could be a path. It was just my risk tolerance. And I've, Mm -hmm. because I'm, (laughs) I'm not the riskiest person, it's taking me a while, about a decade, to get to a place where I'm finally in the startup space. 
And I'm still looking at it as a way where I'm learning as much as I can, trying to learn from others before I try to jump out. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to say you actually need that to jump into startups or to start your own company, but that's the path that I've taken. And I've always wanted to be in the space. And so I tell people all the time, like, don't just run into chief of staff because it's the hot thing, because you're going to be very disappointed when you have to get someone lunch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't just run into the PM role because you've heard that everyone that does anything in technology is PM. Maybe you're good at, you know, working with customers and helping to solve problems. Maybe you're good right. at selling. You could be good at something else and that's okay. But just understand what you're good at. Understand like how you want to impact the industry and the space and go into something you're excited about, not just something that's the new hot thing. Yeah. I love that. I totally agree that finding something that you like doing is going to serve you so much better. And you're going to get, if you're motivated by external things, then I think the more you like what you're doing, the faster you're going to get those things anyway, Mm -hmm. which is something that I feel like people forget. Agree a thousand percent. Couldn't have said it better. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Terrence, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I love the way that you think about the chief of staff role. And I look forward to, you know, meeting with you later today in our regular jobs. (laughs) Exactly. Can't (laughs) wait. (laughs) Thanks for having me on. Yep. Yep. 